Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Today's scripture reading is Philippians 3, verses 12 to 16. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. That was really quiet. Let's try again. Good morning. morning. Thank you. It is good to be here today. Uh, As Wes mentioned a few moments ago, uh, our pastor, Jamie, and his wife, Angie, their family, are uh, taking a little vacation time over the next couple of weeks. So uh, somebody asked me this morning if I knew where they had gone. I have no idea. I think they intended it that way. So, uh, but they're off enjoying some time away and I think some time with family and some others. So uh, we want to uh, want to remember them. We want to keep them in our prayers uh, throughout the course of the next two weeks. I was also given a prayer request today that uh, I just wanted to make us mindful of, and uh, we'll just pray for this briefly. But uh, many of you know that uh, our church partners with an organization called Africans, uh, uh, Africans Reaching Africa. Uh, And our partnership is really a a lot involved in training and mentoring uh, pastors in Africa to be able to reach uh, other Africans. And I got word this week that uh, one of the pastors that uh, our church has partnered with or is partnering with, his name is Peter Lewis. Uh, His wife's name is Lydia. Uh, They're originally from Liberia, but they are currently serving at a church in the Gambia. About two weeks ago, he had a stroke. And uh, he is uh, now on some medications for that, uh, undergoing some occupational therapy as well as some physical therapy. But as of the moment, he has basically lost the entire use of his left arm. So we want to remember uh, Peter and Lydia and their family in our prayers. We want to pray that uh, through medication, through therapy, through healing, that there would be the restoration of the use of that arm and that side of his, uh, of his body. And uh, so uh, let's just briefly pray for them right now, and uh, then we, uh, I encourage you, all of us, to continue to pray for them in the days to come. Let's bow our heads together. Father God in heaven, today we are, we are very, very grateful that we can come before your throne. We're very grateful, Father, that you, you know our needs, uh, you know the circumstances, you understand them, you're aware of them far better uh, than we are. And uh, Lord, you know the situation that uh, Peter Lewis, his wife Lydia, their family is in right now. And we just lift him up in prayer this morning. Father, we're thankful that uh, he was able to get the medical help that he needed following the stroke. We're thankful, Father, that he is alive. We're thankful, Father, that he's able to uh, get the therapy that he needs to, to help restore strength and vitality and usefulness. And Father, particularly today, we, we pray two things. 
We pray that you would heal the left side of his body, that you would restore the use of that left arm uh, so that he would have kind of full function of that. But Father, we also pray that, uh, that in whatever the circumstances turn out to be, that your name would be glorified. Lord, that you would be honored, that you would be praised. And so we just lift up that family. We lift up other pastors today that are serving with uh, uh, ARA. And we thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to partner with them as a church family here. Father, we also pray today for Jamie and Angie and their family as they are taking some time away from us. Uh, Lord, just give them a, a wonderful time. Give them a relaxing time, a beneficial time, a restorative time, a time of, of just personal strengthening, a time of, of just lots of fun, lots of good memories with family. And so we, we just pray that their time away would be beneficial. And then, Father, we are thankful today that we can be here in this place. We're thankful for those that are here uh, listening live. We're thankful, Lord, for those that are uh, other places watching online. Uh, we're just thankful, Lord, that we have the, the honor today, the privilege today of, of praising you, uh, the opportunity today of opening your word. Uh, Father, we are, we are a grateful people today because we, we have your word. We have the, the operative power of your Holy Spirit. We have the life-changing power of the gospel message. And so, Father, we are thankful today that as we open your word, that it is uh, it's not the message of humans. It is, it is the word of God. It is the transformative word of God. And so, Lord, do a work of transformation in my life today. Do a work of transformation in all of our lives today as we open your word, as we study it together. Lord, we want to give you the praise for all that you're going to accomplish for your glory and honor. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Well, like a lot of you, um, most every day there are a number of things that sort of go through my mind. Now, I have to be honest with you, a lot of those things are pretty mundane. A lot of those things are pretty commonplace. In fact, in, fact, in some ways, some of them are a bit embarrassing, just some of the things that go through my mind in a given day. Uh, let me just share a few of them with you. One of the first things that goes through my mind on any given day is, that can't be the alarm clock. Do you ever feel that way? There are days when, I, when the alarm clock rings and it literally feels like I, I fell asleep five minutes ago. And now it's already there. I, mean, I think to myself, it goes through my head, that just can't be the alarm clock. And then the next thing that kind of goes through my mind is um, the cats. We have two cats, Milo and Chester. And uh, first thing in the morning, they make, it very, they make us very aware of all of their needs. So immediately upon waking up, they need a dish of tuna fish. They need fresh cat food. They need clean litter box. They need fresh water. They need additional treats. They need lots of affection. And they need anything else they might demand. I mean, they're cats. That's just kind of the way they are. And so we think about that. I think about that. And the other thing that kind of crossed my mind early in the morning is, I wonder, am I, am I painting today? And if I am, do I have all of the, the things that I need, or do I need to stop by Sherwin-Williams on the way to the job site to make sure I have everything that I need? And then I think, well, if I'm not painting today, why did I set the alarm clock? You know? But that even happens sometimes. And then again, through the day, another thing that kind of goes through my mind is, I kind of wonder, you know, what, what is Lynn doing today? What's my wife doing today? I think about, what are my kids doing today? What are, what are my grandkids doing today? I just kind of wonder what's going on in the family and, and what's happening in, in different places and, and with different people. And, you know, then there are all the normal thoughts about, you know, other relationships and, and family finances and, and other things that are going on, appointments and meetings and activities that are taking place through the week. I mean, all those things go through my mind. And, and then there are always thoughts about, 
about, about the grace of God. I just find myself that it's impossible to go through a day without being thankful for all the provision God's grace has, has brought into my life. It just, it just at times just kind of overwhelms me, the goodness and the grace of God. And usually about the middle of the afternoon, I'm thinking, um, I wonder what we're having for supper. You know, that kind of crosses my mind. I, I don't do really any cooking. It's just not a gift that I have. And God has gifted me with a wonderful cook. So I just kind of wonder, I, I wonder, wonder, what, wonder what we're having for supper tonight. And then around 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, I begin, begin thinking, you know, it's, uh, I think it's time to go to bed. You know, it's been a full day. It's been a long day. So I think about it's time to just to start all over again. Now, I know that's just a lot of commonplace things that occupy my mind, and I'm sure the same is true for you. On any given day, we think about things related to work. We think about things related to school. We think about things related to relationships and, and, and events and activities. We, we sometimes, our minds are filled with concerns and, and worries and, and some of the struggles and some of the ups and downs of life. Those are all the kind of things that occupy our mind on any given day. Now, I share all that this morning. Because in the passage that we're going to look at today, that we're focusing on today, the verses that Tony just read to us just a few moments ago from Philippians 3, verses 12 to 16, the Apostle Paul, who is writing this letter to the Philippians, tells us that above and beyond all of those normal, kind of commonplace, kind of mundane things that occupy our minds each day, there should be one thing that is at the forefront. There should be one thing that is really the main thing that ought to occupy our minds every day. And that main thing, that one thing, is following Christ. It's living a life that is worthy of the gospel. That's what Paul talks about here in this text. So it's not, it's not that the things I mentioned a few moments ago are unimportant. It's not that they're unnecessary. But Paul wants to teach us in this text that it is not the one thing, it is not the main thing that should occupy my mind, your mind, our minds each and every day. That is following Christ. That is living a life worthy of the gospel. In fact, if you look at the text in verse 13, he says this, but one thing I do. Again, it's not that Paul never thought of anything else. But one thing I do, one thing that is the center of my attention, my primary focus, he says this, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, that is my one thing, following Christ, living a life worthy of the gospel, all right? Pressing on toward the goal of following the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what Paul does for us in these verses that we're going to look at today and what he does that is so helpful and so beneficial and what we ought to be so thankful for is that he begins to unpackage for us. He begins to sort of unwrap for us some of the essential factors that are so necessary for keeping that one thing, the main thing in our minds each day. He outlines for us some of the essential factors for following Christ, some of the essential factors for living a life that is worthy of the gospel. So what we want to do today is just sort of, along with Paul, kind of unpack some of those essential factors for following Christ. And I think the first one he gives us is this. Essential factor number one, we might simply call it dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. Now, by saying that, Paul isn't saying that he's dissatisfied with Christ or that he's dissatisfied with the gospel. No, what he's saying in saying this is that we need to humbly acknowledge that we haven't arrived. I need to humbly acknowledge that I haven't arrived. Look at verse 12. Paul says this, not, 
that I have already obtained this, not that I am already perfect. The word perfect there means complete. It means having reached the goal. And Paul's saying, I haven't reached the goal. I'm not complete. I'm not everything that God wants me to be. There's room for growth, room for spiritual development when it comes to living a life worthy of the gospel. When it comes to to following the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 13, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I'm not there yet, Paul is saying. I haven't arrived yet. So Paul knows that he isn't complete. Paul knows that he hasn't reached the goal of all that it means to follow Christ. And that's a good thing. That's actually a very good thing. Because followers of Christ who want to live a life that is worthy of the gospel need to humbly acknowledge, consistently acknowledge, that we haven't arrived. That we're not complete that we're not everything that God has called us to be. We're not there yet. It's kind of like if you were to, uh, to decide that you were going to run a one-mile race, okay? And uh, you're going to run around a track. And the track is a quarter mile long, so you're going to have to run four laps around that track to, to run your mile. And so you start off, and there's some other people there that are kind of watching you as you're running, and you run your first lap, you run a quarter of a mile. You run your second lap, you run a half a mile, and then you stop. And then you start kind of jumping up and down and cheering and kind of raising, you know, the victory sign and all that stuff. And the people are looking at you and say, you're not done yet. You haven't reached the goal. You've only gone halfway. You know, don't stop now. Don't be satisfied with the half mile. Finish the mile. Finish the course. Finish the race. And that's what Paul is encouraging us to do. I think when we think about it, when we look at it, you know, the gospel humbled Paul. Just a few verses earlier in verse 6, Paul talked about how he saw himself prior to the gospel impacting his life. Back in verse 6, Paul said this about his life. He says, as to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless, I'm perfect, I'm complete. So prior to the gospel impacting his life, he says, I've arrived, I'm complete, I'm perfect. As to righteousness under the law, I've got it. There's no more room for growth. I'm there. But since he's come to Christ, since the gospel has impacted his life, it had a humbling effect upon him. And it reminds us, like it reminded Paul, that we're not complete, that we haven't reached the goal, that we're not perfect. And again, that's a good thing. And it's a good thing for a number of reasons, because things, good things happen when we humbly realize that we need to grow in following Christ. One of the good things that happens is that I begin to view other people differently. I view other people differently. I become less critical because I know that I need to grow. So when I see areas in somebody else's life where they need to grow, I'm not as self-righteous. I'm not as critical. I'm not as quick to point out their faults because I know I still have lots of room for growth. And so I, I see other people differently. I think another thing that happens is that... Uh, um, I'm quicker to identify the evidences of grace in my life. I just see my need because I know I haven't arrived. I see my need for grace every day. And so I I cry out for his sufficient grace every day. And as I see the evidences of that grace in my life each day, I praise him for it. I'm more aware of his all-sufficient grace in my life and how much I need that grace. I think another thing that happens is that our love for our Savior grows because we really, we come to realize just, just how much we need his working in our life every day. 
If I think I've arrived, then I don't really need you anymore. If I think I'm complete, then I'm complete. I'm done. The package, it's finished. It's, it's total. But if I'm incomplete and I'm imperfect and there's lots of room for growth, boy, I need Jesus. I need Christ's work in my life every single day. Paul understood that. That's why he said, not that I've already obtained this, not that I'm already perfect. He says, I'm still pressing on to make it my own. I do not consider that I have made it my own. He's just being honest about himself. He's just being honest about where he is in terms of of following Christ. He hasn't received everything that God has in store for him. He's willing to admit that there's room for personal spiritual development, and he has a, a desire to see transformation take place in his life. Now, again, I want us to understand that Paul is not saying that he is dissatisfied with Jesus. He's not saying that he is dissatisfied with the gospel. In fact, again, if you go back a couple of verses to verse 8, he says this, indeed, verse 8 of chapter 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So when he gained Christ, he saw gaining Christ as surpassing worth. So he says, it's not that I'm dissatisfied with Christ. It's not that I'm dissatisfied with with the gospel. He says, what I'm dissatisfied with is I'm dissatisfied with where I am in terms of following Christ. And Paul says that's a good thing because dissatisfaction is is an essential factor in making progress. And again, being dissatisfied with where we are spiritually doesn't mean we're immature spiritually. In fact, later on, look at verse 15. In verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So in other words, one evidence of spiritual maturity is is acknowledging that we aren't complete, that we haven't reached the goal, that we haven't kind of reached the end of the race in terms of following the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where the apostle Paul was. He recognized that. He understood that. So every Christ follower should honestly evaluate themselves. I need to honestly evaluate myself. I would encourage you, Paul would encourage you, God's word would encourage each of us to to regularly, consistently evaluate ourselves because holy dissatisfaction is an essential factor for spiritual progress, for living a life that is worthy of the gospel. So as Paul unpacks this one thing, that he wants to be the main thing that we focus on each day. And as he unpacks that for us, he tells us that one of the essential factors in doing that is dissatisfaction, humbly acknowledging that we haven't arrived. Here's the second one, second essential factor. We'll call it enthusiasm, enthusiasm. In other words, passionately pursuing knowing Christ passionately pursuing knowing Christ. I think a lot of us can identify with essential factor number one, right? I think most of us, you know, kind of look into the mirror of our spiritual life on any given day and we say, there's a lot of growth needed. I, I haven't arrived yet. I, I know that I'm not all that God's called me to be. There's development, there's growth, there's, there's areas of my life that, 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 that there aren't where they, they should be. So I think many of us can identify with the first factor that we're not complete, that we haven't arrived yet, that we're not perfect. But if we're not careful, it's easy for that to become an excuse 
for complacency. You know, maybe the logic goes something like this. Look, I know I haven't arrived yet. I know I'm not complete yet. I know I'm not everything God wants me to be. And I know that I won't be until I reach heaven. So I'm not where I should be, and I never will be till I get to heaven. So just sit down and relax and wait for heaven to come. I think it's easy to think that way. I think it's easy to just kind of fall into that. But that wasn't the case for Paul. Even though he knew he wasn't complete, that didn't mean he wasn't passionate about growing in knowing and following Christ. I mean, notice the passion that we see here in this text. Look again at verse 12. He says, I press on to make it my own. Does that sound like somebody that's complacent? Look at verse 13. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. Again, does that sound like complacency? He says, no, I'm pressing on. He says, I'm, I'm straining forward. I'm straining for it. I'm, I'm committed to it. I'm, I'm passionate about it. I'm enthusiastic about it. In verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal. So this isn't a man who is coasting. This isn't a follower of Christ who is kind of loafing his way through the Christian life. He is living passionately. He's living enthusiastically in pursuit of the goal of a fuller knowledge and experience of following Christ. And that's what Paul wants for us. Again, as he unpacks this, this one thing following Christ that is to be the main thing on our minds each day, he says, not only do we need a holy dissatisfaction, we also need an enthusiasm, a passion, a passion for pursuing knowing Christ. We need to be careful that in our humble acknowledging that we haven't arrived, that we don't adopt a passive and complacent attitude about the life of following Christ. And we don't just find that here in this text. We find it in other texts in the Bible too. I mean, we'll put up a couple of passages on the screen. The first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. Another text that Paul wrote. And in that text, Paul says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I mean, just, just look at those verses. Think about those verses for a minute. I don't see any, any complacency there. I don't see any, any passivity there. In fact, I see terms like racing, exercising, self-control, not running aimlessly, not boxing the air, disciplining my body. All of those terms display the Apostle Paul's enthusiasm, his passion for following Christ. And we just don't find it in the writings of the Apostle Paul we find it other places as well. I mean, we look at another passage in Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses. Now, remember, Hebrews 12 follows Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, we have this, this sort of listing of these men and women who, who ran the race of faith effectively. And we come to chapter 12 and verse 1, and the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, the people he's just written about in chapter 11, who have run their race and finished their race and now are encouraging us on as we run our race. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
let us also lay aside every weight and lay aside every sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, just consider those couple of verses. Laying aside anything that doesn't help us run. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Folks, there should be no illusion that following Christ is in any way defined by passivity or complacency or effortlessness. If we want to live a life worthy of the gospel, if we want to make the one thing the main thing in our thinking and in our lives each day, then it's going to take some passion. It's going to take some enthusiasm. It's going to take some some passionate enthusiasm as we run that race. Now, here in the text of Philippians 3, Paul shares with us something very important about maintaining or having that passionate enthusiasm when it comes to pursuing Christ. You notice he says in verse 13 that he is forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. You know, that can be a real challenge for many of us, forgetting what lies behind. For whatever reason, I think that we, uh, uh, we kind of live in a day, live in an age, and kind of modern wisdom at times, I think, causes us to focus too much, too much on our past, often forcing us to place too high a value on our past. Does our past life affect us? Absolutely. Of course it does. But our past life is not determinative of our future. If we had some very awful childhood experiences, if we have have made some horrible choices and some very bad mistakes, certainly there are consequences to those things, but they don't have to determine the rest of our life. Why? Because the gospel is is more powerful than any of that. I mean, look at the guy that's writing Philippians. Just think about Paul for a minute. Think about his past. Before coming to Christ, as he looked in the mirror of his life, he said, I'm perfect. As to righteousness according to the law, I've got it. I've nailed it down. He was so full of himself, so full of pride. There wasn't a humble bone in his body. He just was so fat-headed spiritually. So fat-headed spiritually that what did he do? Well, you know the story from, what is it, Acts chapter 7, at the stoning of Stephen. Paul's there and he says, look, I'll, I'll hold the coats. I'll be an accessory to murder. You guys throw the stones. I'll hold the coats, you know, but let's take this guy out. That was the Apostle Paul. And it didn't end there for the Apostle Paul. No, we go on to read in chapter eight and following in Acts that that he was a man that began persecuting followers of Jesus Christ. He would arrest followers of Jesus Christ. He would put them in jail and prison. He would torture them into recanting their faith. And if they wouldn't recant their faith, he would see that they were put to death. Now, we don't even know if he did that to one or two or, or dozens or, or maybe hundreds, even thousands. That was the Apostle Paul. His whole mission prior to coming to Christ was doing everything he could to destroy followers of Jesus Christ. That was his past. A man that was so full of himself that his passion in life was destroying believers, destroying followers of Jesus Christ. But what does he say? He says, I can't let that control my future. I've got to forget what lies behind. It kind of reminds me of uh, the Old Testament story of of Joseph. 
And uh, I think most of us know a little bit, at least, of the story of Joseph in the Old Testament um, and how his, his uh, 11 brothers sold him into slavery and a group of Ishmaelites took him down into Egypt and uh, he was sold again to a man by the name of Potiphar, whom he served faithfully. Then he found himself in prison and many years in prison and forgotten in prison. And just, uh, you know, what his brothers had done to him was a horrible thing. And it, it just impacted a very hard way for many years of his life. And if you know more of the story, you know that a day came when he was reintroduced to his brothers. And he, and, he, and he kind of reconnected with them and, and, and let them know who he was. And if there was ever a guy that had a right to hold a grudge, if there was ever a guy that had a right to remember the past, if there, if there was a guy that had a right to, to get a little revenge and not forget was in the past because of what his brothers had done to him, this was Joseph. But what happens when he, when he renews his relationship with his brothers? What does he say? He says, well, you guys meant it for evil, and they did. He didn't try to sugarcoat that. Didn't try to, to make it look like what they did was perfectly fine and wonderful. He said, no, it was evil. It was a horrible evil. He says, you meant it for evil. He said, but God, God is using it for good. Joseph knew that God had a good plan for his life. Joseph knew that, that God had a race for him to run. And he was passionate about that. He was enthusiastic about that. And in focusing on that race, he broke the power of the past. You know, and sometimes it's not just the, the past experiences or the past mistakes that we've made that we need to sort of forget. But sometimes we also need to forget the past achievements, the past achievements. We should be grateful to God for all his past blessings, but we shouldn't use past victories as an excuse for living complacently today. Every day brings new spiritual challenges. Every day brings new opportunities for spiritual growth and spiritual development. So let's not live in the spiritual good old days of our lives. Let's, let's remain passionately, enthusiastically faithful until our race is over. You say, well, how did the Apostle Paul do that? I mean, given his past, how did he forget what lies behind? Well, he tells us. He says in verse 13, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, how do you do that, Paul? He says, by straining forward, to what lies ahead. You see, Paul is a one thing kind of person. He is passionately pursuing what lies ahead. He's not allowing past tragedies. He's not allowing past failures. He's not allowing past struggles or past achievements to control his life. No, he's focused on straining. He's focused on reaching ahead to experiencing more of Christ in his life. He's a one thing kind of person. And as we think about that, you know, maybe we, need to, maybe we need to ask ourselves a question. Maybe I need to ask myself a question. That question is, what is the one thing that is really the main thing in my life? What is that? I mean, let's say that, uh, let's say that, that you were to get together with a group of, of my friends and my family members, a group of people that, that know me well, and you were to sit down in a, in a you know, social distancing, but sit down in a room kind of together, and you were to, uh, to ask them a question, say, hey, you know Mark, you're, you're, you're his friend, you're, you're his family member. Could, could you tell me, as you look at Mark's life, you know, what is, the, what is the one thing that he is straining for? What is the one thing that he was striving for? You know, I, I wonder what they would say about me. And if I was to do the same for you, if I was to, to sit down with some of your friends, 
some of your acquaintances, some of your family members, and I was to say to, to those friends of yours, those family members of yours, you know so-and-so well. You know, what, 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 what's the one thing that is the main thing in their life? What is it, what is it that they're, they're really striving for and really straining for? What would, they, what, would they, what would they say? What would they say about you, your family, your friends? What, the, would, they, what would they say about me? Or maybe a more important question is even this. What one change could I make in order, pursue, in order to pursue the one thing that matters most, following Christ? You know, according to Hebrews, what sin, what habit could I lay aside? Or according to Paul, what new discipline could I adopt in my life? What one change could I make in my life today, starting today, that would allow the one thing to become the main thing in my life? Never underestimate the power of one change. We make one change in our life, and over time, it trickles down and impacts the totality of our life. And as it begins to impact our life, it begins to impact the relationships in my life and the people around my life. So what is the one change that God would want me to make in my life so that I could be a person more defined by striving for the one thing following Christ that is to be the main thing in my life? We need to think about that, as Paul thought about that. Don't ever underestimate the power of making one change. And we look at our lives, and I think a lot of times we think, well, you know, I, uh, I need to make dozens of changes. <laughs> you know, there, there's changes in relationships I need to make. There's changes in habits I need to make. Uh, there's changes in things that I need to, to bring into my life and things that I need to get out of my life. And there's changes here and changes there. And we get so overwhelmed by, by all the many changes that we need to make in our life that we just give up. I don't know about you, but I can't make a dozen changes all at once. I have trouble making two or three changes at once. But what about one change? What is one change that God would lay on your heart and in your mind today that would allow you to passionately, enthusiastically pursue that one thing of following Christ, making it more the main thing in your life. What is that one change? Just one change. Don't underestimate the power of one change in our life. What would it be? What would it be? So again, following Christ. Paul says it is to be the one thing, the main thing of our life. It takes a, a holy dissatisfaction. It takes a, a passionate enthusiasm. What's the third essential factor? The third essential factor, we might call it from this text, is amazement. In other words, never lose the wonder of the gospel. We should never lose. If we're going to make the one thing the main thing in our life, we can never lose the wonder of the gospel. In this passage, Paul mentions two things, one in verse 12 and one in verse 14, that really highlight the wonder of the gospel. I mean, look at what he writes in verse 12. He says, I make every effort to take hold of it. Now listen to how he defines the gospel. He says, because I have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. Folks, that is an accurate and an amazing statement. As Paul looked at the gospel, as he defined the gospel, he defined it as being taken hold of by Christ. Jesus took hold of Paul. The gospel took hold of Paul. Paul looked at his life, and as he defined his life, he said, my life is in the grip of grace. That's how I see my life. I'm amazed by that. That is in the grip of grace. But that's not just Paul's story. That's our story. 
If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then Christ has taken hold of your life. How did that happen? It happened by his sovereign grace. And there's many aspects of that sovereign grace. There's the elective aspect of that sovereign grace, the redemptive aspect of that sovereign grace, the spiritual quickening aspect of that sovereign grace that bursts faith in us. There's the transformative aspect of that sovereign grace. There's the persevering aspect of that sovereign grace. That's the grace that you're in the grip of if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And we ought to be in awe and amazement over grace. Paul says if we're going to make the one thing the main thing in our life, then we can never get over that amazement, never get over that awe, never get over that wonder. In verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. How did he see the gospel? He saw it as a prize. The word prize there means treasure, something that is very, very precious, something that is, that is very, very valuable. So he says, I press on toward the goal, the prize, the treasure. That's how he saw the gospel. God called us by his grace. We live by grace. We are forever to be praising God for his grace. That is the prize. That is the treasure of the gospel. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, when I was a kid growing up, I think I was basically taught that the gospel is kind of the ABCs of biblical Christianity. In other words, the gospel is sort of the, the front end, you know? It's sort of important at the beginning. But once I come to understand the gospel and and come to acknowledge the gospel and and put my trust and faith in the message of the gospel, then the gospel is just sort of the ABCs. And now I get onto the important stuff, right? But I think what Paul's telling us here, what he's trying to teach us here, is that the gospel is not the ABCs of biblical Christianity. It is the A to Z of biblical Christianity. It is the beginning to the end of biblical Christianity. There is nothing else. We need to stay focused on the gospel. We need to daily marvel at God's great work of salvation through Jesus Christ. We need to revel in the good news. We need to marvel at our redemption. We need to boast daily in the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to fill our affections with this, that he has taken hold of me. We need to never lose the wonder of his electing grace, never lose the wonder of his redeeming grace, his rescuing grace, his transforming grace, his preserving grace, the prize that is the gospel. Paul says, if we're going to make the one thing the main thing in our life, then we need to have a factor of amazement in our life when it comes to the message of the gospel and the truth of the gospel. It is essential, an essential factor in living a life worthy of the gospel, essential in following Jesus Christ. So as Paul unpacks this one thing that is to be the main thing that is the focus of our attention each day, he says dissatisfaction is one of the essential factors. Enthusiasm is another essential factor. Amazement is a third essential factor. But then he gives us a fourth one. And the fourth one is what we're going to call discipline. Discipline. Now, not talking here about uh, what a parent does to a child when they misbehave, okay? Not talking about that kind of discipline talking about having a focused mindset or a disciplined mindset. Look at verse 15. He writes, let those of us who are mature think this way. Think what way? Think about dissatisfaction. Think about enthusiasm. Think about amazement. Those are the things we need to be thinking about. Think this way, what I've just been describing, Paul says. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you, any of you think otherwise, then God will also reveal that to you. In other words, he says, I'm praying that God will, you know, adjust your thinking so that the one thing becomes the main thing in your life. Verse 16, 
only let us hold true to what we have obtained. You pick up an idea of of focus there, of discipline there, of of staying on track with that. You know, as I was thinking about that, I was, the the, the Old Testament character that God brought to my mind was the Old Testament character of, of Caleb. Caleb is a is a is a is a great a great example for us to follow. You, you know the story of Caleb. Uh, you know it's kind of a lengthy story covering a number of years. But uh, in Joshua chapter fourteen, Caleb approaches Joshua. The nation of Israel has moved into the land of promise. They have done sort of some of the major conquests. There's still some work to be done, but Joshua is dividing up the land, the territory to different tribes and families and and individuals. And and Caleb comes up to Joshua and says, Joshua, you remember something? You remember something 45 years ago? You remember, Joshua, what, what Moses promised? And I want to just read to you just a few verses out of Joshua 14, verses 6 to 14. And as we read these verses, I want us to notice the repetition when it comes to Caleb of the phrase that he wholly followed the Lord his God. Just look for that. Let me read it to you, beginning in verse 6 of Joshua 14. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know, Joshua... What the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord, my God. And Moses swore, he promised on that day saying, surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever. Why? Because you have wholly followed the Lord, my God. So what was the characteristic? What was the defining characteristic of Caleb's life when he was 40? The defining characteristic was that he wholly followed the Lord, his God. Now look at verse 10, all right? And now behold, The Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord, uh, of which the, let me... I hate when pages stick together. I'm trying to read scripture. Well, goodness sakes. All right, let me read it again. All right, so now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there and great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him. And he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. So what was the characteristic, the driving characteristic of his life when he was 40? He wholly followed the Lord as God. What was still the driving characteristic of his life 45 years later when he's 85? He's still wholly following the Lord, his God. That's the only thing, the one thing, the main thing that he was focused on. So Caleb basically says, when I was 40, I was confident in God that we could conquer the land, but others were scared. Now I'm 85 and I'm still confident. 
His mind was still focused on that. Caleb was disciplined. He never, he never allowed other things to get in the way. He was a one thing person. And that one thing was holy following the Lord, his God. Holy following the Lord, his God. So we come back to Philippians chapter three and in verse 15 and 16, Paul challenges the Philippians and he challenges you and he challenges me to have the same kind of mindset, the mindset of Caleb. He says that those of us who are mature think this way. Let this be the focus of our thinking, the focus of our thoughts, the focus of our mindset. He says, let us hold true, let us hold fast and tightly to what we have obtained. Paul understands that spiritual maturity is not about arriving. It is about persevering. It's about holding tightly to all that we have in Christ and allowing that to continually drive and shape our lives. Folks, we must commit ourselves constantly to the spiritual disciplines that will promote our spiritual development. We must be focused on moving forward. We must be always reaching forward in terms of living a life worthy of the gospel and following Jesus Christ. So again, we need to ask ourselves, I need to ask myself this morning, a very important question. And that question is this, in terms of living a life worthy of the gospel, have I become satisfied? Have I become complacent? Have I become unenthusiastic? Have I lost the wonder of the gospel? Have I become undisciplined in terms of following Christ? I mean, look at your own life. It's, it's not my responsibility, not your responsibility to define that for me or for me to define that for you. Just allow God to speak to your own heart today. Have I become unenthusiastic? Have I become satisfied? Have I become complacent? Have I lost the amazement? Have I become undisciplined? I don't know about you, but for all of those, I could answer yes. In many ways, I find myself getting satisfied, becoming complacent, not being enthusiastic or amazed, you know, not being disciplined like I should. So again, we come back to the question, where do I need to make an adjustment? Where do I need to make an adjustment? What is the one change that would, that would cause me to become less complacent and more passionate? What is the one change that would help me become more enthusiastic and amazed? What is the one change that would help me become more disciplined in terms of making the one thing the main thing in my life? What is that one change? Again, there may be dozens of changes that you need to make. Probably, I know for sure there are dozens of changes that I need to make. I can't make dozens of changes, right? That just overwhelms me. I just quit. I throw in the towel. I can't do all that at once. But one change? Never underestimate the value of making that one change. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit of God is putting on your heart in this moment, that one thing that he wants you to change in your life, that one thing that he wants to change in my life, as I begin to make that change, it affects all of my life. And as it affects my life, it begins to affect the lives of people around me. And it enables me more and more to make the one thing the main thing. It allows me to grow in following Christ, grow in living a life worthy of the gospel. So here in this passage, Paul wants to remind us and encouragement and encourage us that we are to be one thing kind of people. And that one thing is following Christ.
that one thing is living a life worthy of the gospel. And he wants to encourage us as he lays out these essential factors to make one change, one change that'll move us forward in making that one thing the main thing in our lives. Let's pray together. Father in heaven today, we thank you. We thank you for um, your word. We thank you, Father, for, for all that we've learned today from your word and for all that you uh, have taught us today from your word. Father, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul who, who wasn't embarrassed, wasn't, wasn't ashamed to admit that he's not there yet, that there was room for growth, that there was room for development, that there was still a need for, for genuine change and growth in his life. Father, we're thankful that, uh, you know, that he's willing to share with us that even though he's not there yet, that he has this passion, this enthusiasm to press on and to strive ahead. Father, I'm thankful that Paul never got over his amazement of the gospel. And, and Lord, I thank you that he was a person that was passionate and disciplined about making progress in his life. Lord, might we be the same kind of people today. Might we be committed to following Christ deeper, more fully, more diligently. Father, whatever it is you've laid on our hearts today for that one change that you want us to make in our lives, Lord, might we walk out of this place today or as we, we step away from the screen that we've been watching the service on today, might we walk away not overwhelmed by all the changes that need to be made, but just focusing on that one change, that one area of our life. Or maybe, Lord, we'd, we'd talk to a family member, a friend today, a close friend, a loved one, and say, hey, if you were me, what would be the one change that you would see me making in my life so that the one thing following Christ could be my main thing? Lord, might we make that change, not to be full of ourselves, not to be proud of ourselves. Might we make that one change for your glory, for your honor, so that, uh, that our lives would really reflect the wonder of your grace and the wonder of the gospel. In Christ's name we do pray. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.